Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Have you ever wondered, does coronavirus have anything to do with end times? You know, asking that question always seems to arise in the minds of people that I've talked to over and over and over again. I want you to know the answer is definitely yes. And today, I'm going to share with you from God's Word, scriptural secrets from the book of Daniel that I believe are going to change your life and help you understand the times we're living in. You know, beloved saints, the Bible teaches us that the sons of Issachar had a very special anointing. They understood the times. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and I want you to know this is the time God wants you to understand the supernatural secrets in his word that help us interpret the times we're living in. Let's go to the word of God. But before we do that, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your destiny in 2022. We want to pray that today God is just going to meet us, that we are going to be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is just going to invade your life with his word, with his revelation, because you don't have time anymore to go around the same mountain that you went around in last year or the year before. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we are just so determined for destiny. We want to give you praise and thanks. And Lord God, we thank you that you are putting an anointing on this program today so that brothers and sisters around the world that are listening, God, in the name of Jesus, that they will know that they have an anointing like the sons of Issachar, as the word of God teaches us in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 and 33, that the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. God, you want to bring us into that revelation so that there may be a clarification of what you want us to do in this hour. Father, we don't want to be stuck in the 80s, the 90s. We do not want to be five steps back. We want to be like the army of King David that was in 1 Chronicles 12, who could keep rain, who were walking in divine order. We do not want to fall out of our place of ministry. We want to spiritually be in sync with the anointing. We want to be ready for whatever God is doing in the earth. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Now, beloved saints, let's go to the word of God. And today, we are going to open our Bibles to the book of Daniel. 
When we look at the book of Daniel, dear people of God, we are going to actually see another book hidden in the book of Daniel. We are coming up in the next few weeks and in the next eight weeks, we will be at one of the most powerful, profound feasts in the Bible, and that is Purim, the feast, beloved saints, of divine reversal. And you know, the Bible has placed a Purim principle, or what we would call the Purim principle, throughout the book of Esther. You may ask Dr. Carell, what is the Purim principle? Well, first of all, I want you to understand from a literal hermeneutical sense of scripture, this Purim principle is the guiding word that is throughout the Bible, that especially in the book of Esther, we see it in chapter one, chapter two, all the way to Esther chapter 10. We see this guiding word. You may ask, what is this guiding word? What do you mean? I mean a word that repeats a phrase that keeps repeating itself continuously, hidden in the text, hidden in the book of Esther. And remember, Esther means hidden. This guiding word in Hebrew is venahatha, which literally means, and it turned. This means this divine reversal, and it turned. We see what this actually means not only in the book of Esther, but let's look at this word hafak, which we see in the book of Esther, in Esther chapter 9, looking at verse 1. The Bible tells us very clearly in Esther chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, and it came to pass as the king's order drew near in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, as the king's execution order drew near, and in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, watch this, it was turned. Venahafak, it was turned. The Jews had rule over them that hated them. And the Bible says it was turned to the contrary. Literally, we have this word hafak used, not only and it turned, but we also have this word hafak used in the word contrary. You may say, Dr. Corral, what does it mean that it turned? Does it just mean that God turned everything around? In a sense. But if you really want to know what the Purim principle is, if you really want to know what it is when God brings a divine reversal in our life through the power of his providence, I want you to understand this Purim principle that's all throughout the book of Esther, we also see it in the book of Daniel, but I want to show you this Purim principle in the book of Job. Job of all places. You know, Job went through trials. His trials were absolutely excruciating. Some of you right now may be saying, I'm going through the worst test. I'm going through trials. I'm going through tribulations. But I want you to know that Job's testings were actually only nine months long. Some of us might have thought Job was tested for 10, 20 years. No, Job's testings were only nine months. And do you know what the Bible tells us? After that season 
was over. You see, to everything, and there is a time to every purpose under heaven. The Bible tells us that there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. That means there's a time to go through trials, but guess what? There's a time that the trials are no more. There is a time that God has appointed for you that it won't be like this forever. And guess what's going to usher in your days of destiny? It's going to be Vanahapa. God is going to turn it. This is what the Bible tells us. In the book of Job, the 42nd chapter, looking at the 10th verse. Let's go there and look at the word of God. The Bible says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Now watch this. And Job had twice as much as he had before. Do you see this? The Lord turned the captivity of Job, and Job had twice as much as he had before. Now you may ask the question, what does that mean? Job had twice as much as he had before. Well, look at this word turn. The Bible says the Lord turned. It actually is the word hafak. It is the same word used in the book of Esther, where we see this concept of the milamang ha'ah in Hebrew, the guiding word that we see from Esther 1 all the way to Esther 10. We see it all throughout the scriptures. It is the supernatural secret of God's divine providence that he turns it. And there are, beloved saints, promises throughout God's word that it is going to turn for you. So I want you to understand, hafak does not just mean that God just brings an ending to your uh, particular season of suffering. No, it's more than that. You see, hafak means that God is not only going to put a time of expiration on your tribulation, but he is also going to give you twice as much. He is going to bring a divine reversal into your life, which means the whole thing is going to change. The devil thought he was going to bring a day of darkness. Instead, he brought, the Lord brought, a day of destiny. In the day that the, the enemies of the Jews thought they were going to destroy them. Guess what? In Esther chapter 6, verse 16, the Bible says the Jews had light. And guess what? Many people of the land became Jews. What does that mean? That means when anti-Semitism was rising in the empire and that everyone began to bear arms handed to them by the evil Haman to destroy the Jews on the 13th day of Adar, God was working behind the scenes, manipulating and maneuvering the events of history. What looked like a coincidence was really God's supernatural, supernatural, mighty move of divine providence. So what looks like coincidence? What seems like it's just chance? I want you to understand God was manipulating. He was maneuvering. He was handling all of the events behind the scenes 
so that at that very moment, beloved saints, the Bible is telling us when the suspense reached its ultimate height and the enemies of the Jews held the arms in their hands, believing on the 13th of Adar, there is not going to be one more left in this empire. Guess what? People of the land began to become Jews everywhere. Do you know why? Because you cannot stop what God's ordained, no matter how impossible it looks, even at the last hour. And there are some of you right now, you are saying, it's the final hour. You're saying, God, when are you going to come through? You are saying, oh God, I can't take this another day. Or you're saying, God, it's the, talk, the clock is ticking. When is this thing going to end? I want you to know it got down to the very wire. Yet, from the very beginning, Esther had favor with the king. From the very beginning, three days after her fast, Haman was dead in the grave. But you see, we have one little problem after Haman is dead in the grave. We have a decree to deal with. A decree that was written. A decree, beloved saints, that isn't just a piece of paper with a law on it. Do you realize what the decree was in the times of the Medes and the Persians? It was not like just a document that was signed by the king. We understand the decree in its power, intensity, and immensity, and the way it ruled over the land, not only from the book of Esther, but also from the book of Daniel. The Bible shows us in Daniel chapter 2, there was a decree written against the wise men of Babylon and that the king Nebuchadnezzar put it into order, an execution order, that all the wise men of Babylon would be slain and they sought after Daniel and his companions. We also see a decree was written in Daniel 3. This also was a decree written by Nebuchadnezzar and it was a decree that whoever in his kingdom did not bow down to the golden idol that he set up in the plains of Dura, when the music played and when the orchestra played, if they did not worship the idol, they would be thrown into a furnace of fire. Yes, another decree. And then we see another decree written in the book of Daniel. Daniel is a book of decrees. But did you know that the book of Daniel shows us how to strike the stronghold and destroy the decree? Now, beloved saints, in Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel began to rise to power, the Bible tells us the king thought to set him over the whole land. Because why? The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 1 verse 5 or Daniel chapter 6 verse 5 that the Bible is telling us he was so faithful. And the Bible says an excellent spirit was in him. So this means that King Darius, now we've changed empires, but we still have a dot to deal with. And we see, or a decree, we see, dear people of God, that Darius, uh, was presented a decree. And this decree was written by the presidents 
by the, by the officials, by the satraps, by all of those who held any position of power in Darius's kingdom. And guess what it was written for? It was written specifically as a trap to bring Daniel down while he was in that place that the king was going to promote him over his 127, 120 provinces to be ruler over the realm. And so they wrote a decree. This decree said anyone who worships or, or prays to any god other than you, O Darius, let there be a, a decree written that cannot be changed, that cannot be altered, that will be permanent forever. O king, let it be written that anyone who, who, who sings or who worships or especially who prays to any other god other than you will be put into a den of lions. And the king signed the decree. Let us look at how the king signed the decree. The Bible tells us, beloved saints, in Daniel chapter 6, the Bible says in all the presidents of the kingdom, verse 7, and the governors and the princes, which are satraps, and the counselors and captains consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever would ever ask a petition of any other god or of any man for 30 days, save thee, O king, shall be put into a den of lions. Now, if we look at this, the Bible says in verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and assign the writing thereof, that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, meaning that the decree cannot be broken. And actually, King Darius, when he found out he was due, that they wrote this because they were jealous of Daniel, and they already knew that Daniel would always pray to his God, that Daniel would never consult con consent to compromise, that Daniel was already determined that he would never defile himself, that he would always walk in the ways of God, and that his position was only secondary, only a minute detail of his life compared to the way that he loved God and served God and the way that he would never in a million years not pray to his God. And so he defied the decree. He opened the window and set his face toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, there Daniel prayed. And when his enemies found out that the decree was broken, they went to the king. And the king sought from the early morning till late at night to reverse the decree. But it could not be reversed or altered. Not even the emperor, Darius, could change the decree. It is so important that we understand the book of Esther through the lens of Daniel so that we understand the importance and the power and the indestructibility of a decree that was written in those days. But guess what? Esther broke the decree. Guess what? Daniel broke the decree. 
guess what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow, and they broke the decree. Guess what, beloved saints? The decree is a type. The decree is a shadow. It is a prophetic prefiguring of end times. You say, Dr. Corral, how in the world can demonic decrees possibly be a foreshadowing of what the saints are going to go through in end times? Well, beloved saints, I want you to know that the book of Daniel is a book based on eschatology. How do we know this? Because in Daniel, throughout the book of Daniel, we see euphemistic phrases and we see a portions of the text from Daniel transported to the book of Revelation. We also see that Daniel chapters 1 through 6 are events that took place in Babylon between Daniel and his three companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then Daniel chapters 7 through 12 are actually a synopsis of dreams that are end times oriented, that they are actually prophecies in the visions of the night given to Daniel concerning end times. So I want you to know, end times don't just appear in the book of Daniel in 7 through 12. No, end times is the theme of the book of Daniel from Daniel chapter 1 to Daniel chapter 12. This is why it is spiritually significant that we understand these decrees so that we might be able to be risen up in Christ and destroy the decrees that are out to take us out of our place, out of our ministry, out of our purpose, out of the thing that God has ordained in our life. So I want you to see, number one, the first decree that we are going to see in the book of Daniel that we also need to see decree was destroyed in the book of Esther. And I want you to see this decree is shown to us in Daniel chapter 2. And if we look at this, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And guess what? The dream was forgotten by him. He woke up in the morning and forgot the dream. And he called his wise men to him and said, whoever cannot tell me my dream and whoever cannot interpret my dream will be put to the executioner's sword. And so therefore, the men, the wise men in Babylon said, King, you're asking us an impossible thing. No king is ever asked of his subjects to tell the dream. Tell us the dream and we will tell you the interpretation thereof. And immediately, King Nebuchadnezzar was extremely angry. And do you know what he did? He sent for Arioch, the executioner, with a sword to put all the wise men of Babylon to death. But the Bible says in verse 13, the Bible says in verse 13, and the decree went forth and the, that the wise men should be slain. And guess what? They sought after Daniel and his fellows. Did you know that this is actually a prophetic prefiguring of what's happening right now? Yes. Coronavirus is throughout the world. It is affecting so many millions of people. We are in now the hundreds of millions between the time coronavirus began 
And now hundreds of millions of individuals have been affected by coronavirus on planet Earth. But did you know, like in times, yes, it is affecting the world, but there is an assignment. And do you know what that assignment is? It is to destroy, just as it was, to destroy Daniel and his companions. Even so, coronavirus is a type and a shadow of what Daniel went through. The enemy is after the saints of God before they arise in power. The enemy is out to stop the church, to scatter the church, to bring the church out of unity, out of oneness. In Hebrew, we call this akdut. The enemy wants to stop the ministry, the work of God from coming together from the assembling of themselves together. This is the whole purpose, beloved saints, behind the coronavirus. It is definitely an end time plague, but I want you to also understand there is a diabolical decree behind it to test and to come against the saints of God. Remember, Arioch went with his sword to literally look for Daniel and his companions. But guess what? The decree was destroyed. And do you know how? Daniel and his companions got together. And the Bible says Daniel asked of the king to give him time and that he would make the dream known to man. Now, I want you to understand something. Daniel could not destroy the decree on his own. Did you know that these end time spirits, these demonic decrees that are throughout the earth, that are affecting the world, cannot be destroyed by one person. Guess what? The body of Christ is being placed in a position that we must come together with Octut. We must come together with oneness in the spirit. This is not the time, believe me, beloved, when we talk about agreement, we are not just talking about, please agree with me for my stubbed toe. Please do agree with me for the... Um, for the things, you know, I lost a book and I need to find it. Well, of course, that's important. And of course, you are praying with a prayer partner from church that they will help you find your lost book or that will help you recover some minor injury on your toe. But I want you to understand something. The time has come now that God is calling the body of Christ to come into true unity. True unity is not just praying with someone you like or someone who's in your clique. True unity is someone who's on your page, someone who has gone through some stuff the same way you've gone through, someone who has divine determination, someone who's got the same determination, the same revelation, someone who walks in the same manifestation of the anointing on their life. And when you come together and pray with them, they're on your page. This means that God is going to open heaven. You see, Daniel couldn't open the heaven by himself. He had to have Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah agree with him that God would show him the dream. And their anointing was so powerful because they were unmovable in their octave. They were unmovable in their unity. I want you to understand something. This is what Esther did. When Esther made the decision for destiny, when Esther made that decision, if I perish, I perish. She laid the crown of Persia 
down. She laid her reputation down. And why did she do this? I want you to understand she was fully confronted with the implications of what her decision would mean. When Mordecai said, you've got to go before the king in Esther chapter 4, verse, verse uh, uh, 8 through 10, you've got to go before the king and you've got to plead with your people. You've got to go before him and you must do it now. He sent these words to Hatak, their emissary. And you know what? When Esther got the decree and she heard the command of Mordecai, Esther is going to respond a tad differently than we are accustomed to Esther responding. This may not be the exact Esther that we are so accustomed to. The Bible tells us in Esther chapter 2, verse 20, that even after Esther became queen, she obeyed Mordecai in everything that he commanded her. But now he is commanding her to go before the king and plead with her people. But Esther had to be confronted with conflict. Esther had to deliberate. She had to really be put in a predicament that was not going to be easy for her. You see, if she was just going to go before the king, use crocodile tears and her beauty, I want you to understand something. This would not have had any power in the sight of God. I want you to understand she needed to access the anointing. She needed to access that anointing that was upon her life. She needed to have heaven opened over her life. And she had to have kavanah when she prayed. Some of you may say, Dr. Corral, what is kavanah? Kavanah is motives. Kavanah is sincerity and truth. She had to possess true kavanah in her heart. So do you know what she did, beloved saint? The Bible says she looked at this death decree and she wrote back a message to to Mordecai, and she said, the Bible says, every person knows, let me read it to you, the Bible tells us that she said, all people know that, that when a decree is written, let me read it specifically for you from the book of Esther, so we have the exact words that Esther used in this particular portion of scripture in Esther chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that whosoever, whether of man or woman, shall come into the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is just one law for them. And except to whom he shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. And I have not been called to the king these 30 days. Hallelujah. Now, beloved saints, I want you to understand something. That's the way she ends it. I have not been called before the king these 30 days. So sorry about that, Mordecai. These are the rules. These are the laws. Now, I want you to understand what this really means. If you read the book of Esther, you understand this king was not playing. I want you to understand this was a real king who actually ex issued execution orders that could not be reversed, especially against women. 
I want you to see that the first queen did not respond to the call of the king when he called her to the most ridiculous thing. He called her into his drunken brawl, into his drunken party, to come and appear before men, which was not only inappropriate for the queen, but completely inappropriate for the custom and the culture. She refused to come to the call of the king. No woman in their right mind, not just Vashti, but no woman with any human decency would go before a, a group of men with their drunken brawl and, and just stand in front of them. That would be impossible. And especially for Vashti the queen. She refused. And as a result, at the bidding of all of the king's chamberlains, a decree was immediately issued, written, and immediately put into motion that Vashti should go no more before the king and that he should find another queen who was better than she. So Esther was very well aware that this decree not only affected Vashti, but the Bible tells us in Esther chapter 1, the last line, that men should bear rule in their houses. You must understand, all women are now brought into this, and this does not have anything to do with submission. This has everything to do with the law of the Medes and the Persians that actually ordered that if a husband desired to murder his wife on an issue the way that Ahasuerus murdered his wife because she did not come to his call, it was perfectly fine. It was lifting up Ahasuerus to be this wonderful hero, a murderer of his wife because she did not come at his beckoning call. And now it is law. Throughout the laws of the Medes and the Persians, whatever wife does one thing out of the law of the dot of the decree is now the husbands are going to be able to put their wives to death for anything. Can you see this, beloved saints? Now Esther is faced with the reality. If I go before the king, it means I give up my crown. If I go before the king, I, Esther, who am one of the most humble, hidden women on the planet, Esther, the humble one, Esther, who represents the radiance and splendor of humility, she is going to be brazen and be like Vashti and be forced to be thought of in the eyes of the king as being a Vashti. This would mean that she would have to give up her entire reputation, be willing to give it up to do the will of God. This, beloved, is why Mordecai had to write, you must come now. And you know, beloved saints, she deliberated. She chose the will of God. She laid down what was easy and she accepted the cross. She accepted God's will and put the people of God above herself. You know, we've got so many women in the body of Christ today who want to be Esther's. Oh, we've got people. Oh, I'm coming to the Esther conference. Oh, Dr. Corral, I want your Esther book. Or, oh, Dr. Corral, I'm coming to the Esther. I want the ring that you pass out at your services. I can't wait to be there. But you know what? 
most of the time, individuals that can't wait to be associated with Esther don't think of the body of Christ first. They think of their own needs. They think that serving God is something really easy. And when it's totally convenient, they're ready to go. But when it's inconvenient, don't ask me. How could you dare ask me to do something like that? You see, they want to be an Esther, but they're not willing to be like Esther. How could you possibly want the favor of Esther on your life if you're not willing to be an Esther? I want to ask you tonight, I want to ask you today, could you please be a real Esther? And that would mean that you put aside your wants, your wishes, your conveniences, your desires, what you want, and accept the will of God to lay your life down for someone else. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today we give you thanks and praise. We worship you, Lord, that today as we come to a conclusion in this, in this time together, we want to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. And we ask that every person viewing this program or listening to this program would receive the anointing and say, God, I want the favor of Esther, whether man or woman. I want the favor that Esther and Mordecai both had. Those women that are listening today say, God, I really do want to be an Esther. If you really want to be an Esther, wait a minute. Let's get the record straight. Oh, Heavenly Father, let us get the record straight. Let us know what we're really asking. Let us pray with true cabana. Let us pray with true motive. Let us really say, Lord, make me willing to lay my life down for somebody else. Make me willing to go through what is inconvenient. Make me willing, Lord God, to put my life on the line for another person so that the body of Christ could be able to go forward. Thank you for the opportunity you've given me that will make me have to go out of my way and be inconvenienced out of my comfort zone to serve somebody else. Thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Beloved saints, I'm so glad that you joined us today. You know, beloved saints, you can become a partner with us through our worldwide Hesed Ministries. Today, I don't want you to delay. You can, first of all, go to our website and you can sow a seed on our PayPal. Just go to Breath of the Spirit. And I want you to know today that as you go, to our breathofthespirit.com. God is going to do great and mighty things with your life. You can push the donate button. And beloved saints, you can donate by PayPal. Or also, if you would like to give by push pay or give today to the works of God around the world, you can call the number that is going to be announced by our announcer in just a moment. But you know, beloved saints, this work of Hesed is going around the world. You can be part of relieving orphans in Uganda. 
you can be part of bringing the gospel to Pakistan, the persecuted nation. You can be part of bringing disciples to Christ and disciples to food that they need to eat and evangelistic programs and village work throughout India through our wonderful Hasid programs, daily feedings, medical clinics, water wells throughout the world. So we love you. God bless you. Donate now to Breath of the Spirit Ministries. Let God anoint you as you put seed in this soil. And for those of you who want my latest book, Secrets of the Anointing, you can go on mydayofdestiny.com. That's mydayofdestiny.com. And you can also access our other podcasts. We love you. God bless you. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.